Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Guys, when I think about Leah, I think about a girl who lived in the shadow of her younger, much prettier sister, Rachel. I mean, think about that. All of her life, she was always the older one. She was always the one that had delicate eyes, but her sister was gorgeous. And you can, rem- you can imagine just a little bit going on in, in the family. They'd come over and they'd say, oh, Leah, she's cute. But oh, she's gorgeous. Look at Rachel. She's Hollywood. Man, wow. And there's poor Leah just taking it all in. You can imagine. Until something happened, you go, well, like, what happened, Pastor? Well, remember, she, she lived under that shadow until Leah got married. And until she began to have some babies, that's when it changed. You see, the Bible tells us in Genesis 29, verse 31, it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. I want you to look at your Bibles, guys, and I want you to underline this because there's some things that jump out at us. Number one, it says that, that we see that, that the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and, and he opened up her womb. Now, you've got to remember, in the Middle East, to have a baby was a sign of acceptance. It was a social thing. I mean, this is what you do. You got married to have babies. If you didn't have babies, you almost looked like a social outcast. And so all of a sudden, Leah's feeling unloved. Boom. But it says Rachel was barren, which just breaks our heart, okay? Do you guys see that? Everybody see verse 31? Rachel was barren. Now, you guys remember the story. You go, what was the story? Okay, well, Jacob, right? Jacob is leaving. He has to go to Padanaram. He's going to his uncle Laban. He gets there. He sees va, 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 boom. He sees Rachel. Wow. Pitter, patter. My heart goes. She thinks, he thinks she's, she's gorgeous, right? Why? He's sending the other fellows away. He's like, y'all got to go. Y'all got to go. I'll take care of this. Don't worry. Y'all got to go. And then he says, and then he starts moving rocks. I mean, he's like, no, I'll, I'll take care of it, sweetie. Let's get us feed the sheep. You remember? And he just falls in love with Rachel. That's the story. So he says, oh, oh, sir, I wish to marry your daughter. How much will it be? And he goes, well, if you'll work for me seven years, done, deal, boom. The night of the wedding, do you guys remember what happened? The night of the wedding, he goes in, he's like, yeah, and Leah gets snuck in. It wasn't Rachel at all. Leah comes in, it's the wedding night, she has the veil, it's dark. Jacob wakes up. What have you done. Well, hey, hey, calm down, bro. It's not on our custom to give the younger before the older. Work for another seven years, and you can have Rachel as well. I'll do it. Deal. And, he, and guys, this is, this is kind of what's crazy, right? And so he's married both to Leah and to Rachel. And so God realizes that he's in love with Rachel Leah, Leah was a sneakin. Uh, uh. He says, he's not really in love with her. He says, this isn't the right thing to do. So for the moment, guys, in his sovereignty, he allows Leah, you remember last week, to conceive and have four boys. Now, listen closely. Here, here's what I want you to see. I want you to get in your Bibles, and I want you to underline something for me or highlight it. You go, what's that? I want you to underline that God did not allow Leah's sister, Rachel, to have babies. It says right here, and Rachel was barren. Do you see that in verse 31? You go, Ben, why do you want me to highlight that? I want to show you something very interesting. Why? Because the text just said, God looked down, said, Leah, boom, you're going to have babies right on. I, I know you're in love. And then he comes over here and he says this. He says, Rachel, no, not so much for you. Now, here's what we're thinking. Here's what we're thinking. Why do you want me to write that down, Ben? Here's what we're thinking. We're thinking, that's not fair. That's not fair, God. You don't play favorites. What's the deal? God's not fair. Why should Leah have kids and not Rachel? That's what we think. We think, God, this stinks. God, that's not fair. And here's what I'm bringing out. There are so many people who relate to God this way. He's not fair in certain things. He's great in other things. He blesses me. I got the job. I got the promotion. I got the raise. I got it. Yes. And other times it's like, man, I didn't get it. God's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. 
Another quick scenario. This goes from one of the pastors. The pastor had a brain tumor. And for one moment as he was recovering from the brain tumor, by the way, he's still alive today. But he says in his testimony that he'd look at other people and go, God, it's not fair because I'm serving you. I'm teaching the Bible. I'm reaching people. Why would I get this when that other fella is not even serving you? He's walking in disobedience. It's not fair. Now, he repented from that because that's just our thinking. But do we not think this, guys? Do we not think sometimes in our lives that it's not fair? Sometimes in our lives, let's be honest, that we say God is not fair. You go, well, why would we say that? Well, because they, the, the people focus, guys, on the one thing that God did not do for them in that moment, and they forget all that God has done for them throughout the years. Hashtag truth. You know what I'm talking about? Hence the, the, the power of a journal. Hence the power of writing things down. And, 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 and hence the season of being thankful. Because the moment we're like, God, you're so awesome. Walking with Jesus, this is cool. Hey, listen, I've been praying, but God didn't do it. You know what? What up, God? What gives? Man, it's, we forget all of the good that God has done in our lives. We, as humans, have a tendency to focus only on what God didn't do in our lives. And that really messes with us. Why? Because then all of a sudden we become what? We become cynical. We become depressed. We become, we just say, oh, I don't know. I don't, yeah, maybe God will do it. I don't know. He's done death for me. Well, wait a minute. Hold up. Time out. Did you eat this morning? Well, yeah. Do you have food in your fridge? Yeah. You have a vehicle. You have a house. You're warm. You're cold. Whatever, whatever it might be. Do you have this? Yeah. Well, what is the one? That, okay. Okay. It's not fair. Everybody say it's not fair. Okay, so, so we, we think this way. But let me give you a spoiler alert. You guys ready? You realize that Rachel, in chapter 35, eventually dies giving birth to her second son named Benjamin. What, Pastor? Yeah, see, you and I, without knowing the rest of the story, we tend to lean into the notion that God isn't fair. Well, why would, why would Leah have four boys and Rachel have none? Listen, here's the thing. It's God's grace in the life of Rachel and Jacob. It's his grace. And you have to filter everything through the eyes of God. You have to filter your life through what God sees. Why? You have to get this stuck in your heart, in your head, jot this down. In him is no darkness at all. God is not like us. God doesn't think like us. He doesn't think, hey, hey, look, this dude, oh, oh, God's going to punish me. God, in him is no darkness. So everything is filtered. And so if you take a step back, here's what's going on. God the Father withheld kids from her for a season so she could live a little bit longer life with Jacob. You guys tracking with me? It's God's grace. He is sovereign over everything. And listen to this. What seems like it's not fair now might simply be for our benefit later. Thank you. It's a good place. for. Let me say this again. What seems like it's not fair might simply be for our benefit later. Guys, I'm no stranger to this. I'm the same way. God, it's not fair. Me and God, we're just... But, but he's going, no, no, no. Listen, filter that through God. God sees the whole picture. God sees the whole parade. God sees the beginning. He sees the end. And everything in between. You and I, all we see is the next float coming by. God knows the day that you will see him face to face. He knows that day. And he doesn't tell us because he doesn't want us to worry. He says, hey, don't worry about it. Just live. Don't worry about it. I got you. But God, what if it's when I'm 53? What if I'm 54? What if it's I'm 80? What if it's I'm not? What if it's, you know? God says, don't worry. I got you. Trust me. Listen, God was working right here in all of their lives. Rachel, it would be, wait. Wait, I want you to enjoy life now. Your babies are coming. Hang in there. 
That's what he was teaching Rachel. Wait. Ever been in God's waiting room? Ever have to wait? Ever, ever when God says, okay, just wait. Just wait. You're like, I don't like to wait. I am the most impatient. I don't like to wait. What do we do? What do we do when we're in the waiting? What do we do when we're in the, we're just in the, in the, the flying pattern? When, right? We can't land. What do we do? We just serve. And when God calls us to wait, just serve. Okay, God, what, what am I going to do? I'm just going to, I'm just going to serve. What's God doing with Rachel? He's telling me to wait. That's what he's doing with Rachel. Well, what's he doing with the rest of them? Well, for Leah, he's, he's teaching her to trust God rather than man. Trust God rather than man. You go, how so? Re- remember what Leah does. Leah puts Jacob in the place that only God can occupy. Okay? That's what Leah's been doing. And you go, well, Ben, how, how do you know this? Remember the conversation we had last week. As Leah begins having children, she starts naming them, right? She starts naming them. It says in verse 31, now when the Lord saw Leah was unloved, he opened a room. Rachel was barren. And then what happens? He says, so Leah, what happens? She conceives, she bores a son, and she calls his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction, therefore... My husband will love me. Who's her eyes fixed on? My husband. It's got to be my husband. Oh, here's the son. Jacob's got to love me now. He's got to love me. I bore him a son. Every Jewish man wanted a son. I named him Reuben. Guys, we get a good indication of Leah's relationship with God by the name she gives her kids. A good indication. How so? Well, she says, see a son. See a son. I've got a son. I've got a son. Okay, I gave you a son. Jacob, what's she doing? Guys, she's looking for man's approval. And she's saying, I did good, right? Now you have to love me. Guys, think about this. Think about this in our own walks with God. A lot of times we feel like if we just do good for the Lord, then he has to love us. And we play this cat and mouse game with God. And when we mess up, what do we do? We back up. We, we shun now. We go, God doesn't love me because I surely messed up. And, and okay, so what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do, I'm going to clean myself up. I'm going to wait. I'm going to clean myself up. And then after a period of time, then I'll come back and go, God, can I... Can I come in your presence again? Listen, I'm going to go help some folks over here. you got to love me. See, that's what people do, but that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, guys, is so entrenched in us. It's The gospel is so in us that we realize that it's not about us. The gospel is always about Jesus and that he died to save us, and, he, and we are approved in him. We are loved in him. We are secure in him. We don't have to play this cat and mouse game. Because there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you have done that makes God love you any less. That's the gospel. The problem is, is that we may have it here floating around from time to time, but it never reaches here. When the gospel reaches here, you become a dangerous man and a dangerous woman to the kingdom of hell. You understand that. You become dangerous. Why? It's in you. You're not trying to approve man. You are no longer a man pleaser, but you are a God pleaser. That's it. I want that in my heart. I want that in my heart. What else, Ben? What else? Well, remember, she gets pregnant again. What happens? It says, and she conceived again. She bore another son. And she says, because the Lord heard that I am unloved, he therefore gave me a son also. And I'll call his name Simeon. Simeon, right? Leah's getting close. Not yet. Okay, her choice in the second baby's name. You know what he names her? He names, she names her, God hears me now. God hears me. God hears me now. I have a son. You need to love me. Oh, well, God really heard my prayer. He knew that I was unloved. And listen, this is where a lot of people dwell. You see, they know a lot about the Bible. They know a lot about Jesus. They pray and some even go to church, but they haven't made a full commitment to Jesus. God hears me enough, I'm good. Well, she conceived again and she bore another son. And now this time she said, my husband 
will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, let's call him Levi. Levi means what? Attached. Attached. Okay? Joined. Now my husband has to come. Now my husband has to love me. Now my husband has to talk nice to me. Now my Jacob, because I've given you three boys, I have a son, God hears, and now he's attached. See, Leah is literally naming her boys what she feels in her heart. This got to work. I mean, I've given him three boys. But something happens to Leah. Something happened to Leah that happens to us. You go, what happens? I think she got saved. I think something, I think her heart has been transformed. I think she's been transformed from the inside out. You go, how so? Notice she goes, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called the name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. You go, what happened? See, it wasn't about, see, the first one, my husband. Second one, my husband needs to love me. God hears my husband. My husband is attached. And the fourth one, she's like, no, it's not about my husband. It's about the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, she says. And, and guys, think about this. She finally gets to the point where she takes Jacob off the throne of her life and puts Jesus in his rightful place. Now, that doesn't do anything but help the marriage. That doesn't do anything, but guys, think about it. When we put Jesus in the rightful place on the throne of our hearts, we are a better husband. We are a better wife. It doesn't work the opposite. When you put your husband in the place of God, he will let you down every time. When you put your wife in the place of God, she will let you down every time. But when you put Jesus in the throne of your relationship, then there's forgiveness, there's grace, there's mercy, there's love. Now we got a power couple. Now we got a power couple. You know, Ben, what is... But, but listen, I, there's a few that are married here. There's some single guys. Okay, what about these guys right here? Listen, you know what it would be like if these men said, man, I'm going to grow up in the integrity of the Scripture, and these women embrace and have the mindset. You know what would it be? It'd be like, listen, every girl would fall in love with these guys because they have integrity, and they have the mind of Jesus, and they know how to treat God's daughter. You see, for the youth here, all the youth are running one way, and this group of kids decide, I'm going to run the opposite. I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to do what God says. And all the kids go, oh, stop. You just hear it. And he's like, no, listen, listen. That's, that's what's going on. That's what's going on. And do you guys remember where Jesus came from? He came out of the tribe of Judah. Yeah, Jesus came out of the tribe of Judah. Now, let me just give you a side note, okay? Let me just give you a side note. The Bible gives us this command. The Bible says, as, as the, the Lord is speaking in John chapter 15, verse 4, he says, abide in me and I in you. Jesus is talking about it. He says, remain in me. This is the command that God gives us, okay? Abide in me. And so what does abiding in Jesus mean? You've heard that term, Listen, here's what it means. It means we must remind ourselves constantly that there is nothing that we could ever do, there it is again, to make, a, to make God love us more or there's nothing we have done that can make him love us less. That's what it means to abide in him, okay? We must dwell on this great truth daily because dwelling on that truth, guys, is the only way to drive out fear and unbelief and temptation. You have to abide. Abide means make yourself at home with him. Right? Don't you just love going home? I mean, you just feel comfortable, right? You get there and, and man, you kick off your shoes and this is a place where you relax. You put on your pajamas. You get a blanket. I mean, you make yourself at home. If you get hungry, you go up to out in, in, into the refrigerator, get a snack. You don't feel any pressure of anybody going, really? You're going to eat that again? You just ate. Really? 
The temperature's at 72. And we don't feel that. We feel at home. And that's what Jesus says. says when we get to our, this is what we should do. We should just find rest in him. We should abide there. I wonder what it would look like if we were a bunch of crazies for Jesus and we talk to the Lord all day long and people look at us and are like, we're just hanging out. We're just hanging out with Jesus, man. We're just talking to him. Can you imagine walking into Market Street? <laughs> you're going to go buy dinner and you're talking to the Lord. Lord, what do you think I should get today? I don't know. Maybe I was, I was thinking pizza. You want pizza tonight? You want to hang out with me? No, maybe some fried chicken. And people would be like, that dude is weird. Who are you talking to? Oh, Jesus. We hang out on Thursday nights, man. We hang out. He doesn't eat much, but, you know, I mean, but he's there, you know, and we get to hang out. Guys, listen to me. We're not, we're not called, listen, we're not called to abide in religion. We're not called to abide in man. We're called to abide in Jesus. And you will find the peace you're looking for because Rachel, because Leah did. Leah did. And now we come to chapter 30. And what do we discover? We discover a dysfunctional family ripe with superstition. And as we go through the text, guys, listen, I decided to call this message, Let's Play the Family Feud. Because it resonates with everyone. Everybody knows that. Let's play the family feud. You go, what do you mean? Although this is real life. I mean, there's going to be some feuding going on. This is not the game show. They're really feuding. Because as you dive into chapter 30, we're going to find that one member tries to use some medicinal plants to procreate while Jacob himself used pieces of bark. That'll be in two weeks. But I mean, this is crazy. But I also want you to remember, if you're taking note, you can write this in your notes or put it on top of the chapter. It's also a story of redemption. Redemption. While we... As humans, foolish and fickle and and our choices on earth, we have a God who's sovereign and wise and faithful, working out every detail of our salvation. This is a redemption chapter. So that's where we're going to pick it up tonight, guys. Chapter 30, verse 1, it says, Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else... I die, right? This is trippy. Why? Because this is exactly, I I just want you to see, it should be jumping off the pages of Scripture. You go, what's happening? Well, first of all, there are two operative words that we must take a look at. In the New King James, it says, it uses the word envy, envied. It means to envy, to be jealous, to be envious. And, And here's what it means. It means I want what you have, and envy means I don't want you to have it. It's not that I just want you what you have. I want to go above and beyond that. Listen, I want what you have, and I don't want you to have it. That's envy. Everybody got that? Okay, so jealousy is just going, oh, I wish I had what you had. I wish I had. For example, we know that Brother Joe's a golfer. And let's say Brother Joe has this nice, beautiful club, hits the ball 300 yards. I want that club, Joe. Jealousy is that I want that club. But I'm not mad at Joe for having it. I just want the club. I mean, he's got a nice club. He's worked his whole life. He's got a $300 club. He hits the ball 300 yards. Jealousy is I want the club. You know what envy is? I don't want him to have it. And what evilness would come in my heart that I don't want Joe to have that club? Would I steal it from him? Would I hope bad things upon him? Would I hope he breaks it? You see how wicked we can be. Something's changed in Rachel. She looks at her sister. She sees, oh my gosh, she has four kids. And what does she do? You see, Rachel right now is not content to live with Jacob. She saw her sister having babies and something changed in her. You go, what did she change? Guys, listen. She puts Jacob in the place of God. Why? Because she goes to Jacob, not God. She goes to Jacob and says this, give me children or else I'll die or else I'll die. I wonder, church, how many times we want something so bad, we put our spouses in the place of God for us to get it. 
In the case here, Rachel wanted children, but let us think for just a moment about our lives. How we at times pressure our spouses to give us what we want You see, it may not be a baby, but it may be something else. I want this. You better get it for me. I want this. And I wonder how many times we put our spouses. But see, I mean, it could happen in relationships too, can it? We, we tend to put people in the places that only God can be. We have to be careful with ministers as well. And I'll tell you why. Because I love the sheep. I love you guys. I'm telling you what. God has called me. I love you. And a lot of people come to me for counsel. That's fine. But really, the counsel should be, man, don't put me in the place of anything. You should go to God first. My job is not to give you counsel, but to point you to Jesus. He has all the answers. But people will go, well, pastor, I want to talk to the pastor. I need to talk to the Listen. And I'm just like. We got to be so careful. I've seen it happen so many times, guys, when, listen, we lift pastors and leaders up and we forget that they're human. And what happens, guys, is that, is that the church will fall based upon the pastor. And that should never happen. Man, that should never happen. The church is built on Jesus. You invite people to this church because of who? Jesus. Because the, the Holy Spirit is here. And you got to remember, we're as dysfunctional as they come. So you're not going, hey, come to my church. We're all happy. We're all clean. We're all, you know, cookie cutter. Come on in. It's going to be great. We're messed up, man. We're a bunch of misfits, aren't we? So what's the attraction? It's Jesus. It's got to be love. It's got to be we're here because we want people to be loved and to be nurtured, and to feel like they're somebody. Why? Because people matter. And, and if God's heart is for people, then that should be our heart. Well, what if they come in with tattoos up and down, back and forth? We love them anyway. That has nothing to do with anything. Well, what if we get burned? That's going to happen. That's going to happen, right? We're going to get burned, but that's okay. But that's the, that's the attraction, guys. The attraction is Jesus. The attraction is Jesus. You see, because it's the pastor's job not only to feed you, but to feed you with God. You see, if you're walking out of here talking about how funny the illustration was or the joke, but you missed Jesus, then you've missed it. Because tonight, we should all walk out of here a little bit closer to Jesus. Because it's him. So what does Jacob do? Jacob does like any other normal, red-blooded American husband would do. Well, he's not American, but you know what I'm talking about. He says, and Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Right? He's upset. He's upset with his wife. Give me a child. What is wrong with you? Am I God? What is wrong with you? Now, here's what I want you to see. In verses 1 and 2, we begin to see the makings of a family feud, including God the Father. How so? I stole this from Pastor Skip Heitzig. He writes, quote, Jacob refer, refuses to take any blame for her childlessness and angrily told her that if she wanted to blame someone, that she should blame God, end quote. That's what Skip writes. I thought, wow, isn't that true? Hey, don't blame me. It must be God. Are you guys tracking with me? So the wife comes, puts Jacob in the play. Hey, give me chill. Jacob's like, what? Am I God? You need, if you're going to blame anybody, blame God. And I thought, whoa. Whoa. And I thought, we got to chat for a moment. We got to talk. We got, we, got to, we got to unpack this. Why? Because I think right here, men, I think Jacob is misrepresenting God to Rachel. What do you mean? I can't help but think of the admonition that R. Kent Hughes gives us in his book, Disciplines of Godly Men, when he writes this. 
Man, we are divinely called to die for our brides, to take on her sufferings as our own, to make intercessions for her. And then he goes on, he says, do we do that? And how do we do that? He says, first of all, there has to be a sanctifying love. Marriage under the Lordship of Christ is mutually sanctifying relationship. It moves us to holiness. Then he writes this, men, our responsibility is to love our wives, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Now, your attention, please. Did Jacob do that? Jacob says, listen, if you're going to blame anybody, blame God. That's the, that's the overall essence of verses 1 and 2. But God has called us men to be, well, to be men, to be godly men. And he says, listen, you should be sanctifying your wife. You should be loving. You should be helping her get to holy. And then he writes this. He writes this. He says, now this brings up some hard questions. You go, what's that? Here it is. You ready, men? Think about this. Now, not only the men, but I want the women to think about this too. Is my wife more like Christ Because she's married to me. That's a hard question. Is my wife more like Christ because she's married to me? Is she like Christ in spite of me? Men, doesn't that bring conviction? You're just like, wow. Wow. He writes this, has she shrunk from his... Has she shrunk from his likeness because of me? Do I sanctify her or do I hold her back? Is she a better woman because she's married to me? Is she a better friend or better mother? Now again, guys, this is what R. Kent Hughes writes about being a godly man. He writes a whole chapter. But I want you to think about it, guys. Is your husband closer to Jesus because he's married to you? Is your wife closer to Jesus because she's married to you? That's the goal. And I'm thinking, Jacob, dude, listen, I can learn from you because instead of going, well, get off, you know, woman, you come to me, I'm not God. If he's the one who's not giving you kids, blame him. That's not, he misrepresented God. He should have said, sweetie, we need to pray about this. I don't know why God isn't giving you any kids. I don't know. See, backstory, backstory, because, because Rachel's going to die giving birth to Benjamin. And God's sovereign grace and mercy is going, oh, I want you to spend some time. I understand, I understand socially that you're an outcast because you don't have kids and your sister's having four. But, but I know what's going down. I know what's coming down the pike. I know what's happening. Men, women, Has your spouse shrunk from God's likeness because of you? Are we better women, men, because because she's married, he's married to me? Jacob, I believe, guys, should have walked with her in that distress. We got to be careful because we get angry, we get prideful, and we start saying, "Hey, no." Jacob should have said, "No, okay, baby, hold on, hold on. Let's calm down. Let's pray about this. Let's 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 talk about it." You know, I know you're upset. You know, I know, but we don't want to misrepresent God to our to our spouses. We don't want to misrepresent God to anybody. God is who God is. Jot this down. You know what Rachel says? Rachel says, "I'll fix it." I'll fix it. Verse 3. So she said, Here's my maid, Bilhah. Go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees. That may also have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah as his maid, as his wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has given me, God has judged my case. He has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, let's call his name Dan. And Rachel's maid, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister. And indeed, I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Naphtali. So you got Dan 
and Naphtali. Guys, a lot going on here. Okay? A lot is happening in this chapter. You have, you have Leah, psh, boy, I'm pregnant again. Psh, I'm pregnant again. Psh, I'm pregnant again. Right? Four. And then all of a sudden, Rachel's over here going, hmm, you better do it. Here, why don't you go into Bilhah? Bilhah gets pregnant, and she has two boys. You guys with me? Right away. You know, now it takes nine months to have a kid, so you know this is over a span of time. But a lot is going on here. Now, I want you to jot this down if you're taking notes. We see a lot of activity between verses 3 and 24. We see a lot, we see a lot of activity, but here's the question. Where's God? You go, what does that mean? Activity does not mean God is in it. Ooh, is that good? Because, guys, we as Christians can get so busy doing stuff that God's not even in it. We as a church, we have to be so careful that we are not doing ministries for the sake of ministry just to go out and minister and not even ask God if he's in it. See, we see and we can learn from the scripture. Activity does not necessarily mean that God is in it. What are you doing? I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I got this to do. I got this to do. I had to run around here. I've got to do that. I've got to do that. I've got to do that. Well, when was the last time you prayed? I don't have time to pray. I've got to go. We've got busy. We've got, we got ministry. We've got to do here. It's like, take a step back and say, is God really in this? Is God really in this? The Bible says here, guys, I want you to see it. It says, it says, she then, then she gave Bilhah her maid as a wife. And Jacob went into her. Okay, but I thought about this, and I thought, Jacob did with Bilhah what a man should only do with his wife. If you recall, Grandma made the same mistake. Hagar, right? Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham in an effort to help God out. Guys, we see this all the way in Genesis. We've been helping God out for centuries, haven't we? God, I think I got this better than you. I know better than you. Let me, let me do this. Let me do this. Here's another side note. I like giving you side notes, but all three patriarchal women, guys, had a hard time conceiving. We see Sarah did. We see Rebecca did, and we see that Rachel did. You go, what do you mean? Well, you remember, how old was Sarah when she had her baby? All right, 90 years old. This was a promise from God. Can I get an amen? Rebecca waited how many years? 20 years, if you remember our call. Jacob uh, or uh, Isaac prayed for 20 years before she actually got pregnant with two boys, Jacob and Esau. So they had a hard time. Had a hard time. Now, Rachel, okay, Rachel's... Not having any kids, and so she's tripping out, right? She's super bummed because she can't have kids, and I put dot, 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 yet. Yet. You go, what do you mean? We must walk in God's sovereign grace to the promises he has for us, even if you don't see him yet. It, they're coming. They're coming. For some of us in this room, we go, man, we want to have kids. We want to have some more kids. It's cool. God's going to do that. You just got to wait on him. For some of us, we want to have a bigger ministry or whatever it might be. You've got kids here. You've got young ones. Man, their whole life is ahead of them. And I, I think of the teenager sitting in front of me, and I think, man, listen. Listen, for me, I, I think about life and going, okay, man, I've, I've accomplished a lot. I've done a lot. I've seen a lot. But these kids are going, man, I've, we've got school. We've got stuff. We've got our whole lives ahead of us, man. We've got sports, and we eventually want to grow up and get married and have kids and have a house, and you're telling me Jesus is coming back? What's up? Well, the thing about it, guys, is listen, no matter how old you are, man, God saved you for a reason, and he's going to do incredible things. But you might not feel it right now, but it's coming. It's coming. And just be patient. And you might be the generation that does not grow up and get married or go to college because Jesus is going to come back next week. That's okay. Let me just say this. Heaven is a much better place than here on earth. That's your destiny. That's my destiny. That's the church. We're going to be with him forever. But let me say this to you. God is not folding his arm going, Okay, you kids, you're not going to get anything. You're not going to be. God's not. He doesn't. He's going to say, man, listen, you're, you're going to walk in all that you have. But let me say this to you. How old are you? 14? 
14? 14? 15. So we got 14, 14, 15. Listen, enjoy life today. Enjoy your life today. Because God has an incredible plan for y'all. And that's what he's saying here, guys. That's what he's saying. It's so, it's so cool. So these three women, they had trouble, right? They had, they had trouble having babies, right? And so I thought, I thought, okay, you know what really, you know what really speaks to me in this text right here? How do we handle trials of life? Each one of them went through a trial. I mean, Sarah was, was, was tripping out, man, 90 years old. She's like, I'm not ever going to have a baby. I mean, I'm already 90. Are you kidding me? I'm as good as dead. She had resolved in herself that she was not going to have a baby. You see, each one of them handled it just a bit different. But what Paul taught us on Sunday, guys, is that we should learn from others' mistakes so we don't make the same mistakes. So the question is, is how do you handle a trial? How do you handle a storm? And, and here's my hope. My hope, guys, as believers in Jesus, that, that when I'm in a storm, the first thing I need to do is be still. That's the first thing God says, be still. The second thing in a storm is wait for the promise. Even though I can't see it, even though there's wind, even though there's rain. Today, we got up and it was cloudy and it was rainy and it was dark early in the morning. It was just like, oh my goodness, it's going to be one of those days. Right, and we had some we had some rain come down, and then eventually, what happened? The clouds sort of broke, and you saw the sun. It was like, oh, and that's how we are, guys, in our walks. It's like, okay, you might be going through a you might be going through a storm right now, but eventually, you see, man, the clouds are going to break. I I see, I see. I got to be still. I got to wait for the promise. Can I receive each day's blessing without seeing the end? Listen, I'm not, I'm telling you the truth, man. Man, being in a storm stinks. It really does. It's not fun. We don't get up in the morning going, oh boy, I can't wait to get in a storm. Come on, Lord. Let's see what you, we're like, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm going to go back to sleep. I don't want to get out of bed. Tell me when this is over. But can you receive each day's blessings without seeing the end? Hey, what are you communicating to yourself in the midst of a storm? What are you telling yourself? Like, like if, if you're going through a really tough time, a really dark place, do you tell yourself how awful your life is and how miserable you are? Or do you tell yourself, I got a great life. I'm going to have a good day. Can we receive those, those daily blessings to help us even if we don't see the end? I'll tell you the truth. I, I communicate to myself both ways. There are days where it's like, man, I'm really bummed. This really stinks. Woe is me. Ugh. And then there are days when I'm like, man, you know what? The sun is shining. The birds are singing. I got a good life. I got a grandbaby I love to death. I got a family. I'm oh, man, everybody's healthy. My wife is good. Yes. But where do I dwell? Where do I dwell? I can, you can tell where I dwell by the look on my face when you see me. You come to church, I'm like this, hey, how's it going? Yeah, man, praise God, amen, everything's good, yeah, amen. Or, I'm over here. How you doing? How are you doing? How's it going, man? You doing good? Amen. Amen. You, you, you guys know that, right? Our face says a lot. <laughs> Our face says a lot. I have to look in the mirror and make sure I have the right face. In the midst of a storm? In the midst of a storm? Can I hold fast to his word? Can I hold fast to his word? You guys remember Peter? I love Peter. You remember Peter? Right? Here's what Jesus said. Jesus told the guys, 
go on the lake, go to the other side, I'll meet you there. He goes up in a mountain. He's watching them on the Sea of Galilee. They row, a storm arises. They're rowing in the storm, right? They're, they're not going anywhere. Three to five miles, they're toiling all night, right? They're freaking out. Wind, rain, everything's going out, right? All of a sudden, guess what? Here comes Jesus walking on the water. You guys remember that story? Isn't that a cool story, right? Now, now, now here's what I want you to see. Think about this story for a minute, okay? Nowhere in the text does it say that the boys were afraid in the storm. They're used to that storm. They're rowing. They know. They know they will eventually get where they need to get somewhere. Or they'll drift back to where they were. But it never never says, and they were afraid in the storm. You know what scares them? Here comes Jesus walking on the water. And what they say? It's a ghost. And they were afraid. They're afraid of a ghost. But it wasn't a ghost. It was Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, don't, don't be afraid. It's me. And what does Peter say? Peter goes, here's a good opportunity to extend my faith. Here's a good opportunity. I want to get down on what Jesus is doing. Jesus, is that you? Let me come. How many of you remember that story? What does, what does Peter walk on? Help me. Does, does, does Peter walk on the water? Not only does he walk on the water, but catch this. He walks on the word. It was the word of God that said, come. When we're in a storm, guys, are we walking on the word? Are we standing close to God, walking on the word, on his word? Yeah, we got to get back in our text. Okay. The third thing we see in our text, guys, is, is that in verse 8, Rachel declares, I win. I win, right? Because the Bible says, and I have prevailed. That means I win. Can you imagine? Let's play the family feud. One of them's going, but how does she win? Because Rachel has four boys, and these aren't even her boys from her. I mean, but she goes, I win. So she names the boys. What does she name them? She names Dan. That means judging. God has judged my case. Then she names the other one, Naphtali, which means I have wrestled with my sister. And I win. And she's going to, she's going to, Leah going, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, nanny, I win. That's what she's saying right here. I've prevailed. Well, not to be outdone, guess what Leah does? Look at verse 9. And when Leah saw that she had, what, stopped bearing, she took Zilpah and her maid, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Leah's maidservant, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, the troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. I'm thinking Family Feud, but you know what came out? Do you guys remember that song? I mean, Irving Berlin, he he composed it, but but it was that song, Anything You Can Do, I Can Do Better. Anything I Can Do. You remember that song? Some of you were there when she wrote it, but you know what I'm saying? Um, but, but, but the point is, is that that's what, that's what Leah's saying. She's singing that song. Anything Rachel can do, I can do better. You want to do, you know, no, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. I mean, that's really the song she's singing. Now, I bring that up because for some reason, my granddaughter was singing that the other day. I don't understand where she got it from, but she was saying, anything you can do. I'm, maybe I was taught her, but, but that's what she's doing. She's singing a song. So she has two more boys. She has Gad means troop. Asher means happy. Look at verse 14. Now, it changes. Now, Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes. Everybody say mandrakes. In the field, and he brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Why did you say mandrakes? Because if you have a pencil handy, circle that word. Because in Hebrew, they're love apples. They're love apples. It brings out exciting sexual desire. That's what mandrakes do. I don't know about you, but when I read the text, it made me wonder why Reuben would pick them, and then bring them to his mom. I, 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 I just wonder. Now, do you guys remember? 
in chapter 35, Reuben is actually the one who sleeps with Bilhah. It's Jacob's concubine. I don't know if this has any significance, ties in, but I know that he found love apples. I found some love apples. I'm going to take them to my mom. I'm going to take them to my mom. Verse 15 says, but she said to her, it is a small matter that you have taken away my husband. Why would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. So what is she playing? Well, we stopped playing Family Feud and she started playing, let's make a deal, right? Let's make a deal, right? Give me the mandrakes and you can sleep with Jacob tonight. And what does she say? Deal, deal, right? So what happens when Jacob came out of the field in the evening? Leah went out to meet him and said, notice, you must come in to me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he laid with her that night. Now this trips me out. I got to be honest with you. You go, Why? I'm not sure about, about how I feel about being hired out. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not sure. I, I don't know. This would trip me out, but I don't, I don't know if I would go home and Natalie say, guess what? I bought you. Okay. You know, I mean, I, I don't know, but that's, that's kind of what's going on. And I mean, it doesn't, the Jacob, it says, okay, Jacob didn't care. It doesn't, he seems fine with him. But I mean, these girls are playing games, aren't they? And it says, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because he has given me my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Issachar. And Leah conceived again, oh my goodness, and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Leah has six boys and one daughter. You go, well, Ben, why does, why does the writer here mention the daughter? Okay, if you're taking note, okay, um, the reason she's, he mentions daughter is because her name actually means judgment, and this is going to prepare us for a tragedy in chapter 34. The men of Shechem do unspeakable things to Dinah. But in reality, God is blessing Leah, right? Six sons, one daughter. The names, Issachar, higher, right? Higher. Zebulun, dwelling, okay? But I want you to notice in the text, did you all notice the hostility between Leah and Rachel? It's very painful. It's very painful. Let us remember concerning our circumstances, to keep our eyes on Jesus, rest in him, don't run out ahead of him, and don't try to fix it. Let me say that again, guys. When it comes to our circumstances, guys, instead of fighting and playing let's make a deal and family feud, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Verse 22, it says, Then God remembered Rachel, thank you, Jesus. And God listened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son. And said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Guys, here's what I want you to note. I want you to note this, so important. It was God who remembered Rachel, not the mandrakes. Okay, she took the mandrakes from Leah. And then it says, but it says, but God remembered because many people go, oh, well, she, had, she, had the, she ate the love apples. That's why it, it, made her, it made her attractive. It made her sexy. No, 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 no. It was God. It was God. And so she's like, oh, okay. Okay, so she bears a son, and he names him Joseph. He shall add. Joseph, guys, was the favorite son of Jacob. Here we go again with favoritism. Why? Because we know that his brothers hated him, right, and sold him into slavery in Egypt. Oh. So, before we close, guys, I want you to hold your... Go, go ahead and say goodbye here. Jump over to chapter 35 with me, guys. Chapter 35, just a few verses, okay? Because I want to show you something. Chapter 35, picking it up in verse 16, it's speaking of Jacob and Rachel. Then they journeyed from Bethel 
And when they went, there was but a distance to Ephrath. Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had a hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have a son also. And so it was as her soul was departing, and the Bible says, For she died, that she called his name Ben-Oni. But his father said, no, 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 let's call him Benjamin, Ben-Hamin. Guys, Rachel in just a few chapters is going to die. But she didn't die in shame. She had Joseph, and now she had Benjamin. Well, Ben-Oni, guys, B-N-O-N-I, actually means son of my sorrow. She's going, this is, I'm dying. This is the son of my sorrow. And Jacob says, no, 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 we're not going to call him son of my sorrow. We're going to call him son of my right hand. You guys, you guys tracking with me, okay? You go, why is that important? Because if you look at it closely, both of these names illustrates two aspects of Christ. What do you mean? Son of my sorrow, think about this. This was God's only begotten son. And he says he's been Onai because of the scourging, the beating, the suffering, and the death. Now, the Bible does not say that God turned his head when Jesus was on the cross. We, we sing that. God turned his head announcing, you know, Jesus was dead. But, but he took everybody's sin upon him on the cross. I bet the father said, that's the son of my sorrow. But Jacob says, no, 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 it's Benjamin. That's another aspect of the Christ. Why? Because, because Benjamin means son of my right hand, which illustrates the resurrection. Sitting at the right hand of God the Father. You, you, you guys catch this. In just this verse, God presented the gospel. Jesus Christ died, suffering, and resurrected for us. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't know he's a myth. Really? Over in Genesis chapter 30, speaking about the gospel, Genesis 35? Seriously? Okay, well, let's close. Let's close, okay? Let's close. Now, stay tuned. I don't want you to put your Bibles away. Why? Because I said this was going to be a story of redemption. You go, how so? Everybody say, how so? How so? Rachel and Leah thought they were naming babies. But God was giving the plan of salvation. How so? Jacob had 12 sons, and their names put together is the hidden gospel revealed through it. It's amazing how God hid all of these wonderful truths in a simple name and stories. Let me give them to you really quick, okay? Reuben, behold, a son is born to us. Simeon, one who hears. Levi, attached. Judah, praise the Lord. Dan, he is judge. Naphtali, my struggle. Gad, good fortune. Asher, happiness, Issachar, reward, Zebulun, add to my family, okay, Joseph, and then, and then he talks about Benjamin, son of my righteousness. Okay, these are all the names. I just went over how they were just, they were fleshing out, man. They were saying, this is my, my husband, this is what I'm going to name him. But God says, no, no, no. Here's what I want to show you. From the very beginning, I want to show you the plan of salvation. How so? Because here's what it says. Behold, a son is born to us who hears us and who is attached to us. Praise the Lord. He has judged our struggle and has brought us good fortune, happiness, reward, honor. He added to us his family and called us sons of righteousness. All in the names. It's a story of redemption. Father, we thank you for your word tonight and the truth in your word. We thank you, God, that just looking at these names is the gospel. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone 
at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.